My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Frédéric Chabot and Natalia Mason. Comprehensive sexuality education is an approach to sex ed that goes far beyond the stereotype of putting a condom on a banana. Rather than a purely technical focus on biology or contraception, its holistic approach includes equipping people with knowledge, skills, and attitudes, and an understanding of their own values that will enable them to develop respectful relationships, make empowered choices, and be mindful of their own rights and the rights of others. In contrast, the sex ed currently found in Canadian schools is highly uneven in its character and quality. Even the better curricula found across the different provinces do not meet the international or Canadian standards for comprehensive sex ed, and the actual implementation of curricula in classrooms is even more uneven. Action Canada for Sexual Health and Rights is an organization that works to advance and uphold sexual and reproductive rights through service provision, advocacy, and much more. This includes an annual campaign called Sexual and Reproductive Health Awareness Week, or SRH Week. This year's SRH Week, which runs from February 10th to 14th, has the theme of Sex Ed Keeps Us Healthy. At the most basic level, comprehensive sex ed gives people the knowledge and the skills to make better decisions and to take better care of our health. Studies have repeatedly shown that it results in things like reduced rates of sexually transmitted infections and of unplanned pregnancies. There's a long history of rhetoric from people opposed to sex ed that it somehow leads to quote-unquote promiscuity, but in fact research has repeatedly debunked this myth. And as today's guests discuss, sex ed is not just a health intervention. It is simultaneously a justice intervention. Partly that's the case because one of the reasons that negative sexual health outcomes fall more heavily on people who are marginalized in various ways is because one aspect of marginalization can be denial of access to good information about sexual health. So making comprehensive sex ed more broadly available works towards justice on that level. Another aspect is related to the fact that almost all sex ed curricula currently used in Canada assume learners that are straight and cisgender and white. Even in that subset of curricula that actually mention sexual orientation and gender identity, those things tend to be dealt with briefly and as discrete topics, rather than integrating the need to address LGBTQ experiences throughout. Changing this would not only make sure that all youth have the information they need, but would help to create cultures of acceptance and care that push back against those sorts of marginalization. Indeed, part of why sex ed can't just be lessons about putting a condom on a banana is because our ability to, for example, decide on what safer sex measures to take in a given encounter is about far more than having one in your pocket and knowing how to put it on. Sexuality is intimately bound up with how we connect with other people and the world, and with how power and injustice play out in those contexts. 
So comprehensive sex ed is a justice intervention because it is about doing practical things to push back against rape culture, toxic masculinity, and misogyny. It's about working with youth to prevent sexual violence and other forms of gender-based violence. It's about challenging homophobia and transphobia. It's about learning the skills to navigate our relationships in ways that respect our own rights and the rights of others. According to research, the majority of youth want to be learning not just about the biology, but about how to have healthy and happy relationships, including sexual relationships. And, according to today's guests, one key element of making sex ed an effective justice intervention is integrally including discussion of pleasure. In particular, normalizing discussion of women's pleasure as part of the practical work of talking about what healthy sexualities look like and opposing rape culture, toxic masculinity, and sexual violence. Frédéric Chabot is the director of the Health Promotion Program for Action Canada for Sexual Health and Rights, and Natalia Mason is a sexual health educator and a registered social worker who works for Saskatoon Sexual Health. We speak about this year's SRH Week campaign, about comprehensive sex ed as both health and justice intervention, and about the importance of pushing to have it implemented broadly in our schools. My name is Natalia Mason. I am a sexual health educator and a registered social worker in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. I work for a nonprofit organization that's called Saskatoon Sexual Health. When I was in elementary school, I had a lot of friends who were really poorly informed about a lot of things related to sexual health. And I had a parent who was really open and talking about those kinds of things. And so I remember doing lots of like fact checking for kids who were older than me when I was young. When I got to university, I did a psychology degree first. And I eventually started to realize that I didn't really care if it was the amygdala that made you angry, if there was like actual social things that were making you angry. So I went back to school to do a social work degree. I also realized that so many of the problems and struggles that families were dealing with were things that maybe would have been avoided in the first place if they had been able to like wait to have kids until they were ready and lots of other things like that. So for me, that sexual health piece just became so much more important because it's so preventative just in terms of like really big picture, long-term effects on communities and on society. But sexual health has also just always been really interesting because you kind of get to say whatever you want and make lots of jokes and have lots of fun with it. And I'm Frederic Chabot. I'm the director of the Health Promotion Program for Action Canada for Sexual Health and Rights. I think what piqued my interest first was a general sense of the need to fight for human rights. And so kind of growing through university, I joined clubs like Amnesty International. And then when I moved to Ottawa, where I am right now, I joined a sex worker rights organization because my roommate at the time and best friend was one of the founders. And so I did a lot of research for them and coordination for advocacy at a national level. And that really cemented my interest in the connection between sexual health and rights and general well-being and justice generally in society. I worked for 10 years as one of their board members and as the national advocacy coordinator. And at the same time, I was just starting to work in the community health sector at an AIDS organization here in Ottawa. And then eventually landed at Action Canada. Action Canada is a national organization. We're located in Ottawa and we're a membership-based organization with a network of 25 associates who are community-based sexual health centers from across the country, including Saskatoon Sexual Health, where Natalia works. At the national level, we are a voice for sexual and reproductive health and rights. And among other things, we work towards law and policy change. 
but we also have a health promotion program to provide accurate sexual health information to the public, connect people to services, and we also create resources for sexual health educators, sexual health information that can be shared online, etc. And then we also host every year a campaign that's called Sexual and Reproductive Health Awareness Week. This year, the theme is Sex Ed Keeps Us Healthy. SRH Week happens between February 10th and February 14th. And on our website and social media platforms that week, there will be all sorts of activities and information available. Like, for example, two webinars, one of them for healthcare providers, one of them for the public talking about what young people want and need for their sex ed. We will have graphics about sex ed myths and facts. We will also have blog posts by the Public Health Officer of Canada, Dr. Tam, speaking of the importance of access to accurate health information. Same with some other healthcare providers that will share what it looks like in their offices when they see the impacts of the lack of skills and information people are dealing with when it comes to sexual health. And we always invite everyone to participate by either engaging with our material or creating events in their own region or talking about it, sharing with us what they wish they'd learned during their sex ed, and just engaging in the conversation generally. We think that sex ed can be a really important intervention that we should all support to offer people more tools to be able to keep themselves healthy. Both Action Canada and Saskatoon Sexual Health would be advocates for something called Comprehensive Sexuality Education, which is a UNESCO-approved gold standard for sexuality education worldwide. Uh, And UNESCO is the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. And that means acknowledging all of the influencing factors that make up what we consider to be our sexuality or sexual experiences. So that's things like biological sex, anatomy, things like gender expression, gender identity, but also includes things like experiences, communication, even social and emotional factors and the culture that we grow up in and how all of those things kind of weave together to create those experiences of sexuality. I think when people think sex ed, they're assuming that we come in with condoms and bananas and show the kids how to do that. And I have done it in a pinch when I forgot my penis demonstrator. But it's not that simple because there's a lot of things that will prevent young people from using condoms beyond not knowing how to use them or not having access. Things like power dynamics between people of different genders, not knowing how to start those conversations, not having the communication skills, not feeling like they have the power to express that they want to use condoms or that if they do ask to use them, it's going to imply something about themselves that implies things about their partners. There's so many different influencing factors and good sex ed is about addressing all of those so that young people have all the skills and the strategies that they need to make the best informed choices for themselves. There's so much evidence that demonstrate the impact that sex ed can have, that demonstrate how much of a positive intervention it can be in so many areas of life, that it is super baffling that it's not something that we consider a national policy priority. There's two things that comprehensive sex ed can achieve. First, sex ed gives us the right information to better take care of our bodies. There's so much misinformation out there and so much gaps in what people know when it comes to our bodies, when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to healthy relationships, communications, and the kind of skills necessary to take care of our health and take care of our connections with others. So this means at the basic level, like fewer sexually transmitted infections that can have lifelong implications 
That also means fewer unplanned pregnancies, a decline in reproductive coercion. It can prevent cervical cancers or catch them earlier. So it gives us this baseline of health information that we can use to our advantage. And then sex, it also shapes a culture of equality where people can be safe from violence and discrimination and the mental health toll that those have. It teaches us the skills to nurture healthy relationships, something that has a direct effect on our well-being and even on our life expectancy. It teaches us the skills to negotiate relationships according to our own values, which means we improve our connection with others. And then it addresses like, societal issues like homophobia, transphobia, gender-based violence, rape culture, which has an impact on the rates of sexual violence that people experience, all of that also having incredible impacts on people. What is the current state of sex ed across Canada? At a national level, Action Canada has been paying much attention to sex ed in the last couple of years, and that's because we see it as an issue that's connected to almost everything that we do in terms of advancing sexual health and rights in Canada. So we started looking more deeply at why is it that we keep encountering really low levels of knowledge when we have focus groups or work with young people or ask any questions in different communities across Canada. And so we started looking at the curricula that are available in different provinces because education is a provincial jurisdiction. And that was one of the first problem we saw is that every province has a different set of information that is offered to students. It's really uneven. Some provinces, you may find topics like consent being introduced and in other provinces, it's not. In some provinces, the concept of gender identity and sexual orientation will be introduced probably in very basic ways, but it's there. And in other provinces, it's not there. And so people don't have equal access to really important knowledge. Then after that, most of these curricula are outdated. Most of them are not evidence-based when we look at what we know works best or when to introduce certain topics. It's often guided by politics in the sense that some topics are really politically hot. And so we have a patchwork of different types of health curriculums. None of them are meeting the Canadian guidelines for comprehensive sexuality education or the international best practices. And then after that, there's issues with implementation. So even when we have a province where the curriculum is better, we don't know what is actually happening in classrooms. But we do know that a lot of educators report feeling uncomfortable with the topic, unprepared, receiving very little support, having access to little to no training to facilitate those really complex conversations. So even if we had a perfect curriculum, we're still lacking the resources and the political will to make sure that sex ed is actually being delivered in the way that it's meant to across the country. In Saskatchewan, the curriculum doesn't look that bad. And if I were confident that it was being taught in all the classrooms, then we would be starting in a better place than where we currently are. But part of the problem is that teachers don't feel comfortable. They don't feel like they have the skills or the tools necessary to deliver this material. And so it's not being taught. Or if it is being taught, it's being left until the last possible minute. I've been in small communities outside of Saskatoon before and heard things from parents or teachers or administration where they'll say, like, no one's taught sex ed in this school for seven years. And so you can imagine what happens if no one delivers that content for an entire community in seven years. And Saskatchewan has really poor health outcomes related to sexual health in general. So there's lots of really big impacts from that content not being delivered. 
So seeing a more standardized push on the sex ed curriculum across the province would be super beneficial. My other struggle is that Saskatchewan's sex ed curriculum was last revised in 2009. In 2009, apps like Snapchat didn't exist. There's no mention of topics like consent. Contraceptives aren't explicitly mentioned. It still has hepatitis C listed as a non-curable infection. So I think that there's lots of room for improvement there. What kinds of things do youth not know coming into this kind of learning? And what do they want to know? Because we've been immersing ourselves into all things sex ed for a couple of years, I've been scouring all of the studies that touch on this topic. One of them that really captured my attention was one that came out of the Harvard Education Department. They interviewed hundreds of young people to ask them about the sex that they got, about the sex that they would want to get, and about important sexual health markers and topics. And the number one thing that they brought up was the fact that they want to talk about healthy relationships, including healthy sexual relationships. 87% of them rank that as the most important thing for them to get information about. And almost all of them said that they got no adults speaking about those topics at all throughout their teenage years and younger years. And so this is an amazing kind of container to be able to talk about maybe more like hard health fact contained into the bigger question young people have, which is like, how am I supposed to connect with others, how to do it in a healthy way, how to deal with rejection, how to initiate a healthy relationship, how to be an ethical partner, et cetera. And that's reflected in a bunch of other studies. Then the second thing was that in the young people surveyed, all of them mentioned that no one was talking to them about misogyny and sexual violence. And a lot of them said that that was not a problem anymore in modern society, which is an issue because then the same students also reported having engaged in either sexual harassment or gender-based degradation and harassment or having been on the receiving end of it. And then here in Canada, we had several studies and all of them, one of the strongest thing was they all want LGBTQ plus inclusive education. They want to see their experiences reflected in the classroom as it relates to gender, gender expression, sexuality, fluidity of sexual experiences, etc. And then there is one particular interesting one that came out of Montreal last year that basically explained what young people want to know is basically like how to have sex, how to have a relationship, how to ask a girl out, how to break up with someone, how to deal with rejection. And they want it to be fun and they want it to not be awkward and they want it to be reflective of their reality as they live it. I keep track of every question that every student has ever asked me. And it's always been my belief that if they are old enough to be asking the questions and they deserve the answers to them, and if we don't, as educators, provide them with that information, then they are just going to turn to the internet or turn to media or whatever else. And that information is less reliable. It's more likely to reflect sexism, misogyny, homophobia, that sort of thing. In terms of some of the questions that I get from them, I've got questions like, is emotional abuse important if it's not paired with physical abuse? If your partner is pressuring you to do something, how do you say no? Lots of questions like, does clinging wrap work as a condom? Can I use a balloon instead of a condom? Practical stuff, can you get pregnant from a hand job? I love this question. 
I've got, is it illegal if someone tries to get intimate while you have family over and they're in the same house? Or <laughs> can using flavored condoms give you cavities? This has already shown up in lots of what you've said, but draw out a bit more explicitly the ways in which comprehensive sexuality education is not just a health intervention, but is also a justice intervention. Sex ed at its core is a justice intervention. When we're talking about people's right to information, people's right to health, and people's rights to non-discrimination, it plays out in health outcomes. Negative health outcomes happen more to populations that have access to less information, have a harder access to health care, and are also impacted by their social determinants of health. So when we equalize access to health information, it is an intervention to ensure that everyone has access to relevant information about themselves. Because if we look at current curriculums, even the ones that mention gender identity and sexual orientation, the topic is mostly treated as a thing that we should teach to heterosexual cisgender kids. We are not talking about it as if we have any students in the class that are part of that demographics. And then none of the other health information is actually presented in a way that is relevant to anyone who is not straight and cis and white. So that's one huge issue when it comes to health. And then other than that, it could be the most impactful intervention we could have as a society to change culture because comprehensive sexual education is about talking about our connection with the world. And so it's about how we relate to others, power dynamics. It's about taking on homophobia, transphobia. It's about changing the culture around sexual violence, understanding rape culture, understanding toxic masculinity, how it plays out in the way that we experience the epidemic of sexual violence. It could be one of the most crucial lessons we have in schools to learn how to live in a more equitable and just world. One of the things that I like to insist on when I'm in classrooms is that if I can, that I would like to have all of the students learning together and not separated by gender in those classes. The concerns that the girls have are going to look really different than the concerns that the boys have. And having the opportunity to hear each other out, I think, starts to get them on the same page. And at the end of the day, we're also talking about them having those positive, healthy, safe, empowering, pleasurable experiences. And so being able to have those is also inherently about being able to understand the other person and their needs and being able to communicate with them. And so there's so many important life lessons that are embedded within sexual health curriculum. I think pleasure is actually one of the key components of a justice-oriented sex ed intervention. I've been reading these incredible books by journalist Peggy Ornstein in the United States. She interviewed about 100 girls in their university years about their sexual experiences over a year. And it's a very bleak read about, you know, sexual coercion, sexual degradation, gender-based violence, the lack of respect, the lack of connection between partners, the lack of pleasure, etc., and how it's normalized in young girls' eyes that this is what sexuality is about. And in talking about sexual violence, rape culture, and toxic masculinity, she says, one of the only intervention I can see having an impact that would last and ripple out is to actually speak to pleasure in sex ed, especially talking about authentic female pleasure. 
because if people are starting to learn about that, about what sexuality can bring to people, the positive aspect of sexuality, what a healthy sexuality actually looks like in real terms, then this is how we're going to start to dismantle this way of interacting that leads to, you know, epidemic rates of sexual violence, because people will know what they want and should expect and deserve. And there's such a disconnect between girls and boys as it comes to relationships and gender. And boys are crushed by masculinity norms in the fact that to be able to assert their masculinity, sexual conquest, aggressivity are key. And if you don't do that, you are at risk of male violence. And so it's the crushing impact of gender norms and sexual scripts that is impacting everyone. And sex ed is one key terrain where we can address that head on with young people. Sex ed is a societal project for social conservative, right-leaning people as well. So it kind of reveals the powerful impact it can have. You know, we see here in Canada, social conservative governments have come into power, let's say in places like Alberta, Ontario, and the first thing they go for is sex ed because they understand how powerful of an intervention it is to shape culture. And one thing that they have been very successful with in that for decades at this point is what we call the promiscuity propaganda to convince people that if we talk to young people about sexuality and sexual health, like negative health outcome will come from that, like more risky sex, earlier sexual initiation, et cetera. When that is completely false, it's debunked by science. It's not true. But most of our sex ed curriculums are based on that idea. So thinking beyond campaigns like SRH Week, what kinds of grassroots political work needs to happen to expand the reach of comprehensive sexuality education? Awareness campaigns around behavior change, those are not impactful in the way we want them to be if they're not tied to a larger political agenda that will change the environment in which people experience what you're talking about. So as Natalia was mentioning earlier, you know, if you just say to people, use a condom, it doesn't address the fact that, you know, gender power dynamics and relationships could make it really risky for someone to ask for a condom or to carry one around. So if we don't address the environment as well, then the quote unquote awareness raising around a certain behavior will be meaningless. And so for us, SRH Week is always an important campaign. Because we try to appeal to different audiences to have the opportunity to talk about a topic in great depth and to bring them into a bigger effort for change. To ask for their increased support for sex ed, we want to raise the demand for comprehensive sex ed across Canada. For us, it's also tied to political work that we do around laws and policies. So asking for federal leadership when it comes to the implementation of sex ed in Canada and to the equalizing of curricula into having curricula that are evidence-based. And it's recruiting powerful sectors like healthcare providers, educators, teacher unions, unions, young people themselves to bolster that call and ask for change and ask for leadership at a federal level, at a provincial level, and raising the demand from the public so it actually becomes unavoidable to talk about this as a policy priority. You have been listening to my interview with Frédéric Chabot and Natalia Mason about this year's Sexual and Reproductive Health Awareness Week campaign. To learn more about it, go to actioncanadashr.org slash srhweek. 
To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.